Hello and welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stressed and distressed, restructuring and post-reorg in the European and CMEA markets. It's Tuesday, February the 28th. I'm Caterina Dassier. And I'm Andrew Ross. Coming up this week, Leverage Finance reporter Beatrice Marvolian will discuss the primary market and also the impact of fruit and vegetable shortages in the UK on a number of credits. I will then be joined by credit analyst Nikhil Bersani to discuss Madeleine's post-restructuring recovery prospects. Finally, Deputy Editor Aurelius Seidelhofer will talk about key updates on the restructuring of German elevator parts maker Witter. chat with Beatrice earlier to understand what's going on in the primary market so far this week. And this is what she said. This week, Israeli pharmaceutical company Teva is marketing $2.06 billion of senior notes concurrent with a tender offer to purchase up to $2.25 billion of notes due from 2023 to 2026. The company's opioid litigation settlement provides some much needed clarity about the credit with the company now expected to pay between $300 and $400 million per year in settlement payments for, for 13 years, investors said. Although these payments will impact free cash flow generation, with EBITDA guidance for this year in the range of $4.5 and $4.9 billion, free cash flow should amount to about $2 billion pre-settlement payments, which still leaves some headroom, investors said. Performance has been stable, ex- excluding significant foreign exchange impacts last year. There has been a significant amount of price pressure on the company's generic segment, particularly in the US, though this has been offset by the performance of the company's branded products. Truxima is the largest drug by sales. However, there are several biosimilar compounds on the verge of launch, so sales are likely to erode. At this time, the company also does not have a strong growth drug in its portfolio, by side as noted. Another concern is the overhang in the price-fixing litigation, and it appears as though the company is seeking to term out its debt prior to any settlement. Some investors, however, declined to consider the name because of environmental, social and corporate governance, or ESG, implications of the association with opioids. Two loan issuers, metal can manufacturer Eviosis and chemical company Ineos Quattro, brought dividend deals this week after the dividend recap for French fashion brand Isabelle Marant two weeks ago, which was the first since the first half of 2022. Eviosis upsized its term loan B by $50 million to $400 million. The OID on the loan tightened to 98 from the range of 97 to 98 earlier in syndication. The deadline was accelerated yesterday afternoon from Wednesday. Ineos Quattro is marketing a 750 million euro um, equivalent dual tranche loan, including a minimum 400 million portion. And Switzerland-based chemicals company Arcroma is marketing a cross-border 850 million dollar equivalent term loan B. The deal, which is split between euros and dollars, will refinance or extend the company's existing term loan B due in August 2024. And changing topic, I've also spoken with Beatrice about the fruit and veg shortage, which has been in the news in the past week. As Mark Spencer, the UK Minister of State for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, is expected to hold crisis talks this week with supermarkets 
amid the ongoing shortage, which could last another three to four weeks. Also, bad weather in Spain and Morocco has been blamed for the shortage, with others saying Brexit and higher transport costs has put off producers. But how have supermarkets' notes reacted to the shortage? So Morrison's 5.5% notes due in 2027 are quoted at 775 today, down from 79 on February 17th. Asda's 3.25% notes due in 2026 are at 83.1, down from 83.9 a week ago. And its 4% notes due in 2027 have, have fallen about 1.2 points to 71.8. Iceland's 4.625% notes have remained resilient and are quoted around 89, but the company's 4.375% notes due in 2028 have fallen one point in just over a week to 76. Marks and Spencer's 3.75% notes due in 2026 have fallen about 1.3 points since February 20th to 90.7, and its 3.25% notes due in 2027 are down about 1.6 point to 90.1. Hi, Nikhil. We did a really interesting webinar on Madeleine yesterday, um, which was a lot of fun. And I think it would be great if you and I could discuss some of the key takeaways. Um, you're also actually working on some financial uh, analysis of the retailer, which is due to be published later this week. So perhaps we can discuss that also. Yeah. Hey, Andrew, that sounds good. Great. Well, well, the main focus of the webinar yesterday was Madeleine's post-restructuring recovery prospects. So the long-term high-yield issuer recently completed a full-blown restructuring after difficult year-end trading scuppered uh, its lender-led strategic M&A process. The transaction will slash the group's debt burden and inject fresh equity to provide it, it with the runway to return to growth. Um, a number of hedge funds are now actually looking at the restructured debt, given that over half the equity will be stapled to the reinstated senior secured notes. It means that the significant, significant upside of Madeline is able to recover lost earnings and hit targets. So let's dig into the financials. Nikhil, can you tell us a little bit more about the company's business plan and forecast post-restructuring? And in your view, um, you know, is, is it credible? Sure. So if we first look at uh, Matalan's business plan, the group expects top line to grow at a KR of just over 6%, which we think is fairly ambitious. Overall, under our base case, um, we estimate a KGAR of just under 3% from FY23 to FY26. And management's growth forecast is largely underpinned by significant enhancements too, um, and take up of its online channel as well as through reductions in markdowns of goods um, and increases in average selling prices and volumes. Now, though we see a reduction in markdowns and increase in average selling prices as a way to grow top line in the medium term, during the next 12 months or so, it may be difficult to fully deliver on given the likely recessionary impact um, to, to consumer spending in the UK. Now, improving its online offering and capabilities should support top line growth Although, given the competitive nature of online market and the demographic of Massland's target market, we see growth in this channel to be relatively subdued compared to management estimates. Now, though we do note that the current offering is below market standards, so there is considerable room for growth and top line support there as well. Now, I've spoken to a number of hedge funds about this name. One concern about the business is that post-restructuring, the company still has an over-leveraged capital structure. 
I also think it's safe to say that there's a consensus view that management's forecasts are very uh, ambitious. However, a number of funds are pretty comfortable with the probability of a low growth story. And many have indeed suggested that the business does not really need to achieve the ambitious growth targets it has set out and that kind of more realistic estimates still lead the company to deleveraging toward a two to three times region while being able to generate cash in the medium term. So is there, is there, do you kind of agree with this? Is there potential for cash generation and are they able to deleverage uh, by repaying any debt? As I know, um, they have a cash sweep provision for the 75 million pound notes. Yeah, no, that's right. So we so we do see Maslan being able to generate enough cash to engage in cash sweeps where they would have to maintain a minimum amount of liquidity above 50 million in the sort of subsequent two quarters after a payment under the notes. Um, that's the sort of um, cash sweep provision that they have uh, for the 75 million notes. Um, under our base case, we estimate that cash sweeps will be lower than what management forecasts purely because we see... Um, top line to grow at um, a, a slower rate compared to what management forecast. So under our base case, we see a cumulative cash sweep of around 40 million, and that compares to a full repayment under Matalan's forecast that it provided um, in January this year. In our high case, we see a cash sweep of just over 60 million, and the low case comes in at about 10 million. Um, and that's because we see cash generation as much more limited towards the sort of mid to low single digit millions. Naturally, as we do not see Matalan generating enough cash to fully redeem the 75 million um, notes, we don't see the company being able to engage in cash sweeps under the 61 million super senior notes, which can only be swept once the priority notes have been fully redeemed. With that said, under our base case, including the cash sweeps that I just mentioned, we estimate uh, net leverage could sort of drop to about three times by FI26 on a pre ifrs 16 basis. And that compares to around 1.5 times which uh, management forecasts themselves. So even in our conservative base case, um, the capital structure does appear to look much more sustainable um, compared to what it previously was pre-restructuring. Thanks, Nikhil. Um, so yeah, I think we, we've really expanded on this in the webinar we did yesterday. So I'd really urge your listeners to give that a listen. We'll make a link available in the description to this podcast. And also do keep an eye out for Nick Hill's waterfall analysis of Madeline, which is due to be published later this week. Thanks again, Nick Hill. Thanks, Andrew. there has been a bit more movement in the restructuring space with Vitor appointing advisors. Can you tell us a bit more about the company first? Hello, Katarina. Yes, so Vitor is a German elevator parts maker, which was acquired by Bain Capital in 2015. And Bain later sold a 32% stake to the Canadian pension fund um, PSP. Basically, what has been happening is that for a few months now, investors and advisors have started to worry about a potential liquidity shortfall and thought about solutions how to address it. In the third quarter, the company just about broke even in terms of cash flow and um, it had about 57 million in cash and about 20 million available under the RCF at the end of the quarter. The main issue is that the company is quite exposed to China with about a third of the company's sales coming from there. 
And it already struggled with the extended lockdowns in China. And as we all know, the real estate sector there is uh, struggling quite a lot. Um, and that's not great for Witter, who is an elevator parts maker. So what has happened in terms of advisors getting involved? Yeah, so in early February, the company got um, a new CRO on board, uh, Michael Keppel. And at the same time, EY um, started working with the company um, about addressing some operational and liquidity concerns. We have found out today that um, the company has now also got um, Julian Loki on board to um, explore various um, options to safeguard liquidity. Thank you, Aurelia. And um, do we know how big the liquidity gap will be? Or how could they plug it? Yes, of course, the company and its advisors will have a much better idea um, than us <laughs> from the outside. Um, but people we have spoken to expect that the company might run into an issue as early as the second quarter or otherwise a bit later in the year. The issue um, of this liquidity gap is that um, it probably won't be very straightforward to plug it um, because Vito is already quite highly levered at about 9.9 .9 times. So it would be hard to just add more debt um, somewhere. And Bain, who owns most of the equity, is not likely to make an equity injection, according to a lot of people we spoke to, because um, they already recovered most of their initial equity investment um, when they sold the stake to PSP. And then the first lien lenders are also not super likely to um, be able to provide new money because most of them are CLOs. So what could happen? This is obviously pure speculation, um, but you could at least partially or even fully equitize the second lien or change the structure with a hold call pick instrument for the second lien potentially. Maybe some of the second lien lenders would also be prepared to provide the new money. So these were kind of the, the solutions that we've been discussing with people. But obviously um, what will happen in the end depends a lot on how big the liquidity gap really is and the various stakeholders and what they want. Thank you, Aurelia. Join Reorg and 300 senior LPs and GPs at the Super Return Private Credit Europe Conference on March 6th to 7th to explore the latest investment opportunities and market trends. Also, on March 7th at 2pm GMT, join Reorg for the Reorg Product Showcase webinar, exploring ESGX as we show how ESGX is used by our advisory and investment manager customers to satisfy their contractual or regulatory reporting needs in the leveraged finance and private credit markets. We would like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience, so please take a moment to complete the short survey at the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we're doing. More information on all the situations and events discussed in this podcast are available on our website, reorg.com. We hope you can join us next Tuesday for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening.